0: This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast Legislative District Candidate Series. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we talk with Emily Randall. Emily is a Democrat running for state Senate in Washington's 26th district, which includes Bremerton, Gig Harbor, and Port Orchard. And we are very happy that she could join us. Emily Randall, welcome.
1: Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me.
0: We're very happy to have you. So I'll, I'll just start by asking, how is the campaign going so far?
1: Oh, it is going amazingly. Um, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. This is my first campaign. But Mm -hmm. when I launched it on January 9th, the reception was immediate and strong, and it hasn't backed down. We've got over 400 volunteers signed up and uh, contributions from over 500 individuals. We've raised $45,000, and it's come in in... You know, small bits, people who are giving every paycheck because they believe so much in the change we're making. So we're knocking on doors, hosting events and building um, our social media following in a way that our community hasn't seen before.
0: That's all tremendous, and I I know that you've gotten some pretty strong endorsements recently. I want to get to all of those, but um, first, I want to to talk about your background. So you were born and raised in your district. You were born in Bremerton. You were raised in Port Orchard. Uh, You are the daughter and granddaughter of uh, veterans, union workers, teachers. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how that informed your politics growing up.
1: Yeah, so my community— um, my family was really invested in the community. Uh, it, volunteers and patriotic public servants who were, loved their country deeply. And I grew up with that. I, you know, all the men in my family served um, in the one branch of the military or the other. My dad worked for the Department of Defense at Puget Sound Naval Shipyard. And my mom was the president of our preschool board. And I Every person that I grew up with had a cause that they were really passionate about. And so that was sort of infectious. How can you not care about making change for your neighbors when everyone you know feels that way, too? It was just what we did.
0: Yeah. Well, it obviously ingrained in you a, a drive to serve your community. Definitely, so you were the first in your immediate family to graduate from college. Uh, you graduated from Wellesley in two thousand eight. That was the year of the great recession i I'm sure that was probably a less than auspicious time to join the workforce back then. Oh
1: my goodness yes, um I was lucky, so I ended up at Wellesley for a number of reasons, one because I had better financial aid from Wellesley than from Western Washington University, so it was more affordable than state school and That's in part because we've been under-investing in our higher education trust fund. But nonetheless, I ended up at Wellesley and graduated in 2008, and up until the day before graduation, didn't know how I was going to uh, start paying my student loan payments. Uh, But I got a job in the college's annual fund, and that sort of set me off on a career in nonprofit fundraising and community building because... Uh, I had a chance to connect with a fellow alumni of the college and support an institution that supported me so strongly. I got hooked. I love talking to people. And this was exactly that. It was about um, finding our common passions and using our talent and time and treasure in support of a better future.
0: Well, certainly loving to talk to people is a prerequisite for running for office, as is fundraising. Um, I should mention that in your career, you have also done nonprofit fundraising with Children's Hospital Boston, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, Planned Parenthood. I can imagine that fundraising as a skill is coming in pretty handy right now as you're running for office.
1: It is helpful. I um, So many women are kept from running for office because they're afraid to ask people for money. And so I try to counsel as many, particularly young women, first-time candidates as I meet. And I meet a lot doing trainings with them, uh, not giving trainings, but as a participant yeah. <laughs> in trainings. Um, I try to tell everyone that it's not as scary as you think it is. And often people do want to support you if they believe as strongly and the future that you believe in, they want to be a part of it. And so that's what I did at Children's and San Francisco AIDS Foundation. You know, I worked with folks, um, you know, world-class physicians and um, the patients who received world-class care, as well as the community members who believed in a healthier future. And that's, that's certainly serving me because as I As I talk to my neighbors and my community members about the future that's better for all of us, I talk to them about how we can be involved in making that change happen and That's such a privilege every day.
0: Well, I I certainly want to talk about the ways to get to that change in a moment. But first, you know, you talk about participating in trainings, uh, particularly Win With Women. I know that you did that program, and I'd love to hear about that. And I'm also interested to get your thoughts on the record number of women that we are seeing running for office right now.
1: Yeah. So I am so excited by the number of women who are standing up and saying, it's time for me to be involved and it's time for me to take a leading role because for so long, I think women have been doing the work to make our world um, better for all of us, you know, leading uh, as the president of their school board and as, you know, moms who are raising future doctors and as teachers and any sort of role that we've served in society, um, women have done it with much less fanfare, I think. Yeah, and and now, whether it's because we had enough of the political status quo, or whether it's because we're seeing other women like us stand up and realize that we can do it too, um, it's an amazing time, I think, for for women, young and old, all around the country. And so I've done a, I have done a number of trainings because I felt like I wanted to be sure I knew what, what I was getting myself into, some specifically for women and some for progressive candidates. And definitely one of the repeating refrains is that women need to be asked so many times. So I try to ask as many bright young women as possible to consider running for office, to consider working on a campaign, to realize that they have um, you know, something inside of them that the rest of the world needs. We're like, what? Uh, we need over a hundred thousand women to be elected to reach parity in the numbers of of men and women in elected office, which so. is just
0: stunning in this day and age. <laughs> in twenty eighteen, that it should be that far apart. I
1: know, I know. And we had made, you know, nineteen ninety two is famously the year that we elected so many women, and we've lost ground since then. So. Mm. If you're a woman out there listening to this, think about running for office.
0: Hear, here. So I, I do want to jump in and talk about some of your policy positions. And mm-hmm. I think the place to start is where your website starts. Uh, when people go on, they will see a quote that says, let's move beyond divisive politics and put people first. It's hard to miss the fact that we are in a hyper-partisan era right now and people talking past each other. How in your mind do we bridge that divide?
1: Yeah. We need to be listening to each other. So many times I'm out knocking on doors or at events and I hear from my neighbors that they feel like politics has just evolved into one extreme of one party screaming at the other extreme of the other party. And we're definitely seeing that play out on the national stage, which I think has people exhausted. I am committed to listening to my neighbors, to providing us an arena to talk civilly and to, you know, come up with some common sense solutions to the problems that we're facing. So many folks are interested in making change, but they feel like when one party's fighting with the other, there's really nowhere to go. And so they give up. And I want to connect with people and share the message that we can make change together. We just have to take a breath, listen to our neighbors, ask each other questions about where we're coming from, and that's gonna lead us to the kind of solutions that will really impact
0: all of us positively. Well, so you've been asking questions, you've been out listening, you've been uh, on the campaign since January 8th. I'm wondering what sorts of specific things are you hearing, concerns that you're hearing about from the people that you're talking to?
1: I hear about issues that you know folks are struggling with every day the rising cost of healthcare and having to decide between you know your house payment and uh sometimes chemotherapy and that is untenable to me i hear about um rising costs for folks on fixed incomes um grandparents like mine who you know see their bills go up and their salary stay the same um and i hear from Teachers and parents and students who feel like our schools haven't been getting the support they need. My mom's an educator at South Kids Up High School, and she sees kids every day for the almost 20 years that she's been working there who aren't getting the support they need, are slipping through the cracks, don't have necessarily the family support at home to give them the boost that they need to, you know, graduate and have the bright future ahead of them. So she and her fellow educators work overtime, pay out of their own pocket to make sure their students are as prepared as possible. And we need to make sure that we're, um, we're giving teachers and students equal support. And I hear that from our neighbors. Um, I also hear that we need to make sure that we've got good jobs in our community and that folks can, or making enough money to afford to keep living here.
0: Yeah. You you talk about that on your website as, as being one of the areas that you absolutely want to focus on bringing well-paying jobs to the local economy there. I'm wondering what sort of jobs you envision specifically.
1: Yeah. So we have the opportunity to expand apprenticeships and uh, trade jobs here in our community. We've got great apprenticeships through Puget's Naval Shipyard, but, um, should be investing more and making those more available to young people or, you know, folks who are separating from military service, people at the time of transition in their career, because those union jobs are are great jobs. And we've got infrastructure that needs to be improved, and we have houses that need to be built. And um, those skilled trades positions will not only allow workers to earn a family wage, but also give back to the community by, you know, repaving our roads and dealing with the traffic that's mm-hmm. keeping us backed up around uh, Gorst on Highway 16. I also think that we should be making it easier for small businesses to thrive. Um, small and mid-sized businesses are are a big part of our economy here locally, but folks struggle to keep their businesses open. And if we can give them um, an injection of support and allow um, it to be a little easier for small businesses to thrive, then they can scale and hire more folks so that like, our young people graduating from high school aren't fighting over minimum wage um, fast food jobs, but are able to have real careers to support themselves and their family.
0: So you mentioned... The healthcare issue, uh, as mm-hmm. and, and these are unifying issues that you're talking about, and certainly sure. the struggle over healthcare is something that a lot of people uh, have to face every single day. You come at this from a very personal place. You have mm-hmm. talked about the healthcare needs of your sister Olivia, uh, and about how this was the first time that you saw government as a force for good in your life. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I was seven when my sister Olivia was born and she was born with microcephaly, which is what Zika is causing in babies. And we didn't know how long Olivia was going to live. Doctors told us maybe an hour, maybe a day, maybe a year. And she lived until she was 19. And that experience was such a blessing for my family to have Olivia live with us for that long. But it was also an incredible struggle for my parents and my family. When Olivia was born, we didn't immediately qualify for Medicaid because my dad made just too much money at the shipyard. Um, But that year, the legislature expanded Medicaid access and Olivia got covered. And that meant that Olivia could live at home, go to public school, get her occupational and uh, physical therapy and nursing care there at school. We could pay for multiple wheelchairs and expensive specialists in Tacoma and Seattle, and nineteen years' worth of diapers, which if you're a parent, you know that that really adds up and um you know for us, it was normal. My sister was my sister, and you know she had expensive doctors and expensive medical equipment, but she You know, was such an important part of our life and our family. And I know so many families like mine in our community who have an unexpected healthcare scare, have a child born with special needs, and not everyone has the support that they need. Have the um, you know Medicare or insurance or healthcare, whatever. It shouldn't be a crapshoot whether or not you can afford to keep your family alive and healthy, right? We should be taking care of people. And that has followed me through my career, that belief and that value. And now I think it's more important than ever because we're seeing, again, attack after attack from Washington, D.C. on Americans who need and deserve health care. And we need to stand up here in Washington and make sure that Washingtonians are protected and act as a leader for the rest of the country.
0: Well, you know, and in fact, universal health care got a a good deal of traction in this year's legislative session in Olympia. It didn't pass. But, you know, I'm wondering if that's something you would support if you were in the Senate next year.
1: I definitely believe that each and every one of us should have health care. you know, right now there's a ballot initiative, and I'm excited that so many people are excited about healthcare. care. Um, you know, that kind of grassroots power is really important to making change. Regardless of whether that happens, I think that next session we need to pass legislation that grants every person health care. And I'm open to a number of proposals. I think what's exciting about expanding our Democratic majority in the legislature is that we can have a little more flexibility and creativity to think about the solutions that are right for our community and whether that's, um, you know, a universal Medicare care for all model or something that I'm interested in, which is a three state healthcare solution.
0: Tell us about that.
1: Um, it's really in early stages, but I've talked to some folks and it came up shortly after the 2016 election around some national healthcare tables, you know part of the part of the problem with health coverage is always you know when we have um high risk people in the pool, then it drives cost up. But a way to counter that yeah. is to expand the pool. And we know that we're not anywhere near getting um you know a solution, a national solution from washington d c but could we push the envelope by banding together with? Uh, our progressive states to the south uh, in Oregon and California to find a solution that's more affordable for all of us. I think if I think we should explore it.
0: So I know that you we talked about this at the top of the show. You have gotten some pretty high profile endorsements, uh, including uh, Derek Kilmer. Derek is a Democrat. He is the congressman from the sixth district that encapsulates much of the 26th legislative district. Um, I, I'm curious If watching how he has governed and particularly how he has won as a Democrat in your district has been instructive for you.
1: Yeah. So I've watched um, Congressman Kilmer run his state level races and um, his congressional race and have been so excited about his style of getting out and talking to our neighbors. And he's been a wonderful mentor for me since I've launched my campaign and even before and has really counseled me on the importance of, of field work and, and knocking on doors. And so I'm excited to have his support. He's also, you know, a a great listener and committed to bipartisan work. He's uh, part of a bipartisan working group in Congress and, and that model of, of putting the needs of our people first and, and listening to both sides of the issue and, um, you know, really building community support is so important. And I'm glad to have him on my team.
0: Well, you know, the reason why I ask that about the way that, in particular, Congressman Kilmer has managed to win in your district is because when you first declared your candidacy, you were told by a number of people that you were too progressive to win in your district.
1: I was.
0: (laughs) And so (laughs) I'm wondering if that has, as we've said, you have been out, you know, listening to people, talking to people. And I'm wondering if that feedback has shifted at all.
1: So, I would say it's changed, and I think it might be because people have just gotten to know me a little bit more, but I don't think it's progressive or radical to think that everyone deserves healthcare and that all kids deserve an equal opportunity at a good education and that, you know, we should pay uh, working people well enough to sustain their families. I I don't think those are, are radical progressive views, but I think to some people, that idea of, you know, making sure that everyone in our community has a fair shot feels a little radical. Um, that said, I think our district is is bluer and more progressive than the numbers have historically shown. We have a couple of things working for us here locally right now. And one of those is that people are disillusioned with the state of the National Republican Party. Another is that our demographic are changing a little bit and you know there are families moving in from seattle and um, folks who are having their first kids who are getting ready to think about school and and people are waking up to the idea that or to the reality that we haven't had someone working hard for us and we haven't had voices in olympia advocating for our needs and we just can't sit back any longer and be underrepresented.
0: You know, you say that you're hearing that people are disillusioned by the national representation of the GOP. And I'm wondering how you see views on Trump changing at all in your district. Are people becoming disillusioned?
1: I think people are definitely disillusioned with Trump. Um, You know, Democrats... um, (laughs) <laughs> didn't take any time to realize that yeah. <laughs> um, we we didn't have great leadership. But, um, you know, even folks that go to doors of people who lean Republican and who have voted for Republicans in the past, and they tell me, you know, we're thinking differently this year because it's scary, our lack of leadership in Washington, D.C., and they understand that we have the chance here in Washington State to you know, counter some of that lack of leadership. And we've, you know, this session, we were able to pass a lot of good legislation, including a Voting Rights Act um, that allows us to, you know, put Washingtonians first and, um, and protect folks in our community, but also to act as a model for other states who might want to stand up against the Trump presidency. And, My opponent is one of the few legislators locally who was a vocal supporter of Trump and proudly uh, declared that she voted for him and didn't um, back down after his election in her support. So I think when my community members hear that, they realize that it's time for change.
0: Well, so if people are liking what they are hearing, where can they learn more? I know that campaigns need donations. They need volunteers. So where can they go?
1: Um, So my website is electemilyrandall.com. And you can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at emilyrandall.com w a um and that's where you get you can get up to the minute updates about campaign activities and events we're canvassing every saturday from here on out so if you want to come to the beautiful kids at peninsula and knock on some doors we would love to have you um you can also donate on the website and um sign up for our email list to hear about other opportunities to get involved.
0: Well, there you go. And uh, I am in full agreement, by the way, the Kitsap Peninsula is absolutely gorgeous. I was just out there. Uh, So Emily Randall, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show and uh, best of luck.
1: Thank you, Stefan. It was lovely to join you.
0: So all of Emily's contact info can be found on the SoundCloud page and also on the website, indivisiblepodcast.org, so you can check it all out there. If you know of a candidate you would like to appear on the show, the email is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast Legislative District Candidate Series is a production of Get Creative, Inc. I'm Steven Cox. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.